Conversations podcast. This episode is made up of four parts. This is part two of four. This one's from a Farsi-Persian interpreting candidate or interpreter uh, from Victoria. Translating and interpreting testing material in Farsi is not standard. It has errors in it. Examiners and test designers do not have tertiary qualifications in interpreting and translation And that's why they made many mistakes in choosing test materials and in examining the test. I and many of us raised the matter to Nati. It is time for them to change the system and invite fresh, educated people to the panel. The question is, why doesn't Nati want to replace the uneducated, male-dominated Persian Farsi panel with academic and highly educated examiners and test designers. Second part, why someone with no tertiary education in interpreting and translation, someone with only a limited knowledge should be a Nati examiner and a test designer? Who'd like to take this one? I'll take it. Um, I'm sure Arlie can uh, chip in a little bit as well. Um, It probably, unsurprising, we disagree with the, premise of the question. Um, so the assumptions that are made, uh, I think, are incorrect. And I don't, um, I don't want to uh, paper over the, the concerns that the, the candidates got, but hopefully if I can explain the process that we've got, it gives people some comfort in how and why we do things and um, some confidence in who we're choosing. Early before mentioned about the length of time it takes us to set test material. Uh, so the premise that the material's got lots of errors in it or is inappropriate, um, again, unsurprisingly, but we disagree. We, we've got a really strong process in the creation of materials, uh, which goes for months uh, with lots of um, lots of people involved um, from our examiner panels uh, and lots of quality assurance that goes on from NATI qualified staff as well that are practitioners and linguists in their own right. Um, Examiners particularly, uh, and this sort of goes back to one of the previous questions as well, which is why we can't just test in every language right now, is because we have a really strict criteria around who we employ uh, to do this work. And the, uh, the, the the absolute base level for the majority of languages uh, is... Um, they need to have substantial experience in the industry, um, both from a practitioner point of view. They need to be certified practitioners already. Uh, they need, on average, 10 or more years of experience in the industry. They need to have a, um, a tertiary qualification in translating and interpreting or a degree in a related discipline like linguistics or language. They need to have expertise in setting or examining assessments. So at a university level, they might be professors or lecturers at a university. Um, I'd note also that it's a... um, uh, There's no questions today, I don't think, about the length of time it takes to get results back. But we have quite a long time frame to get results back to candidates between eight and ten weeks and it's because the examiners that we're using are all highly qualified professionals doing multiple other high-level jobs either in academic institutions or in you know 
conference interpreters in the United Nations or whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be, these are highly skilled professionals that are quite time poor uh, and they work with us because they're committed to the industry and seeing the right quality people come through. So um, between the, the certification that they already hold, they have to have 90 certification, the tertiary qualifications in translating or interpreting, the expertise in the setting and the examining um, outside of NADI, uh, and they have to have currency in their language other than English. They're all our minimum criteria, along with the 10 years. So, and uh, Orly, her team, and myself, we make recommendations after screening, um, doing screening tests uh, and training tasks, then to the CEO of NADI, who has um, a delegated authority from the board based on our recommendations to either choose that person after all of that or not. So it's not a, it's not a given that even when we put someone up that's met that criteria that they would necessarily get through. Uh, and then the final thing I would comment, apart from the multiple people that are involved uh, in the creation of the test material, there's also multiple people involved in the marking of the tests as well. So at a minimum... Uh, two of those examiners will mark a candidate's test. In about 35% of cases, we will use a third examiner for quality assurance purposes. And then we do um, semi-regular throughout the year benchmarking studies between those examiners within the language, but also against languages to make sure that um, expected results uh, so there's standard deviations in, you know, in many fields. Uh, we look at what a candidate's education level is, uh, and then what we would expect the pass rate for that um, candidate to be in various skills. So we look at every rubric, uh, and then benchmark that across the language groups to decide whether a panel um, is marking about where we would expect. So. There's a, you know, again, I don't want to trivialise the question at all, but we've got some pretty strong and robust quality assurance measures in there to ensure that the people we've got um, have got the skills required. Uh, and I'd also comment, apart from the initial marking that we've got, we also have a review process, which if a candidate does believe that through all of that they've still been marked unfairly, they can pay for a paid review and the, the cost of that paid review um, is the cost of the additional examiner that we need to market. And if the result is overturned based on that paid review, they get their money back from it as well. Mm. Uh, well, I guess um, we can say that these comments uh, that the person asking the question is making, I mean, it's an assumption, isn't it? There mm. is nowhere that this information is given out? I mean, there's quite a bit of secrecy about who the examiners are. Can you explain why that is so that people understand why? Yeah, of course. And I should have brought that up. So all of our examiners are anonymous. Um, They're not listed anywhere. They're not even allowed to put um, the fact that they are employed with us on like their LinkedIn page. Um, The only time they're allowed to divulge it is uh, to potential new employers and they have to get our permission to do so. Mm. Uh, and it's so that there is no bias. There's no opportunity for people to lobby them to change a mark or to try and get access to test materials prior um, or to try and 
game the test at all, so or get bribed even. So all of our examiners, with all that work, and you know, we we believe that being a Nadi examiner is a you know, a high mark of a lot of practitioners' careers, but they're not even allowed to advertise that fact. So, so my understanding is no one knows who the uh, the examiners are, but also the examiners don't know who the candidates are. Correct. Yeah, all tests are anonymised. So there is, um, like in an interpreting test, they will have uh, video of a candidate. Um, so it would be possible to recognise someone by their voice or image, I guess, but they're not given a name or any other identifying marks around that. Uh, but we also do have a process where we know that if uh, one of our examiners is a lecturer or a professor in an education institution, uh, where our candidates are coming from, we don't allocate tests from that institution to that, uh, from candidates who have studied at that institution to an examiner that works in that institution. So do you have examiners all around Australia? So it doesn't focus just in one state? So because uh, you've, got, you've got universities and um, RTOs all around Australia providing uh, education and, uh, you know, giving you candidates for the testing. Um, so is, do you have examiners all around? Absolutely, all around Australia and uh, roughly um, 400 that work with us. Okay, well, impressive. Um, so I hope that answers uh, the couple of questions for uh, the person who was asking that question. Um, and uh, yes, uh, there is no way of saying exactly uh, who these people are and what their qualifications are, but you heard it from as high as you can hear it from and you're getting guarantees about their level of expertise, uh, experience, and um, educational levels as well. Uh, thank you very much. That explains a lot about um, how the system works and how the examiners are vetted and um, are brought onto Marty. Thank you. Um, here is one from New South Wales, a Vietnamese language certified provisional interpreter. I'm planning to take the certified interpreter test soon. I don't have many materials to practice by myself. Any comments on this? Vietnamese. Yeah, so I can answer that uh, question. Um, the NATI website does have some uh, practice materials available. Uh, they are currently in English. We are planning to have more available in a variety of languages in the future. They are not available right now. Uh, but in terms of um, preparation, I guess um, it's important for candidates to, to know that the test tasks are offered in a variety of domains. So it's very good to prepare on the terminology and the broader knowledge of, of uh, domains that are relevant to the Australian society, so health, legal, community services, um, education, education, yes, yeah. business. So it is broad, um, but uh, that, I think that's a good way to start, like to, to work on the terminology and, and knowing, having some general knowledge about uh, those um, different domains. And there's a, a broader list available in uh, the candidates' information uh, on the NATI website, so they can find some information there about the test uh, format. Um, now, 
uh, as to prepare for the test, it's, uh, I mean, if this person is already eligible to sit the test, they would have done some training. Uh, there are some short courses available online um, through uh, RMIT, TFSA, uh, other training institutions where they, they can do a short course that can help them prepare for the test as well. So they, they, they understand what the tasks are about and um, they can prepare, prepare uh, on their skills as well. Mm. These are good avenues. Um, Nati also has a YouTube channel with some videos of uh, interpreting dialogues. Um, they're not real tests, but they do simulate how the tests uh, are, are delivered. So that can be helpful as well to, to understand what to expect uh, during the test. Um. Quite a while ago when I was preparing for my uh, certification test or back then accreditation test, there used to be um, sample test packs that we could buy or, you know, preparation packs that we could buy. Um, do, do they still exist? Not that I know of because that would have been under the old system. So was, this was a long time ago. I'm saying 2004. Yeah. And the test format would have drastically changed. Yeah. Um, so, no, these ones are not available, um, but we are planning to have uh, more practice materials available down the line. But at the moment, we only have some sample materials in English. Okay. So, again, um, have a look at the website. They're on the well, website. As well as the Nati YouTube channel and to give you an idea. Mm. Okay. Very good. Oh, here is one from New Zealand. I'm based in New Zealand. I'm curious as to whether I can train and become NATI certified. Short answer is yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> Why not? Um, so we do have uh, practitioners based all around the world. Not uh, it's not a huge proportion of our um, of the practitioners that have NATI certification, but it's a considerable percent. Uh, New Zealand, particularly, has. Um, announced that they are going to adopt NADI certification as their standard for all translators and interpreters from the year 2024 onwards. So we are currently um, working with New Zealand government representatives to um, to organise testing and transitionary arrangements and, and the like. So it's a, a good length of time that they're, they're implementing this over. Uh, so if the New Zealand candidate that's asked the question is based in Australia now, we would say absolutely start studying and take the test. If it's for translation, we can do the tests online. We do all our translation tests online these days, so you can do it from anywhere in the world uh, and definitely worth getting um, getting that done now and being prepared for the transition in, in New Zealand in 2024. Um, that's very good. Uh, now, we know that uh, there's been a lot of video interpreting being done recently, um, lots of telephone interpreting, and we know that you've been conducting your tests uh, via video as well. Um, and we can see that this trend uh, is going to stick around for a while. Um, and uh, especially with face-to-face -face international students for the time being, uh, being uh, pretty non-existent in Australia, uh, universities have turned their face towards uh, online international teaching. Um, a big selling point for interpreting and translation uh, programs is uh, making people, getting people ready and uh, making them eligible to sit the NATI test. Uh, so someone can 
do an, uh, a university or a TAFE degree online overseas. So they can sit the, at the moment, they can sit the NATI certified translation test online and get their certification and do work in Australia, even if they're located on the other side of the world, right? Yep, that's correct. Yep. What about for interpreting? At the moment, it's all face-to-face or some of it's face-to-face. Potentially, is interpreting going to be done via video or could it be done for these um, international students uh, so that they can work in the Australian context as well? Yeah, it's definitely part of our planning. We, we're in advanced discussions with a couple of um, groups. So uh, you commented before, we did do some online interpreter tests um, during particularly through the Melbourne lockdown, the second Melbourne lockdown in the second half of last year. We ran over 200 tests in that format. Mm. Um, we've got uh, a couple of examples this year with the SNAP lockdowns in South Australia and Western Australia, I think it was January, February, um, where we contacted candidates and allowed them the opportunity to do online. So uh, at the moment, our online interpreting platform is um, via Zoom or Teams. Uh, it's absolutely possible, but it's not the most user-friendly interface, I think, fair to say. So uh, we're in advanced discussions of development with a couple of providers to try and make that process easier. Uh, and once we're ready, we'll be able to offer um, more broadly uh, around the world is absolutely the hope. Um, but more than that even is just to allow people within Australia that live in regions that are desperate for interpreters mm like Broome or Cairns um, or Alice Springs that would currently have to fly to a Melbourne or a Sydney to take the test. So we are definitely committed to opening up the accessibility of the test to more people wherever they are in the world. Uh, the, the trick is getting the technology right. Um, and as any of the interpreters out there would know, you get the wrong internet platform or the wrong lighting or the wrong audio and it can really throw off both the performance of the person but also their ability to, to actually you know, perform at the highest level because they can't understand what's going on necessarily. And then we've got the added complication of needing the audio file and the video file to be of an appropriate quality to be examined. So not only is the, the candidate have to have the right experience, the examiner's got to get the right product to look at as well. So it's a fair assessment of their abilities. So we hope that we'll have um, the criteria that's required uh, for the connection and the webcam and the audio device uh, to be able to take it remotely and the platform to be able to do that in a secure and stable environment as well. I'm hoping to have the first couple of those done by the end of the year, but uh, with all these things, I don't want to make a, a too big a promise. Or, yeah, just in case, um, like everything Nutty does, it's about quality for us, so we're not going to launch something that, that's not right. But, you know, it's good to know that um, you're working on it. All right, very good. Thank you very much. Um, got another long one with a bit of a comment and then followed by a question, Okay. Uh, this one's from Victoria, uh, Vietnamese, and the question is about certification testing. I took the interpreting test a couple of times and was unsuccessful. I have a doctorate here in Australia, and I have been working as a freelance interpreter for many years. However, I didn't have the NATI qualifications to pursue my dream of focusing on an interpreting job. The ways role players did, or what the role players did, was not fair, 
because they kept talking, which is not true in real conversation. I guess um, they, they mean by, you know, even after trying to pause, they keep talking, um, which is not true in real conversation. If we interrupt them so many times, we're not seen capable to do the interpreting job. But if we don't, we can only interpret the overall meaning of the segment. Examiners, please put yourself in our situation. If somebody told you five or seven sentences very fast, nonstop, and you were asked to repeat exactly without errors, can you do that? Another problem was that the markers marked sentence by sentence like the written language test. Can the NATI examiners board please make sure to have a fair test and marking for us so more people can get NATI qualifications? Thank you. Sorry, a bit long. So who would like to take this one? Uh, the questions sound like it's for the examiners, but I guess uh, on behalf of the examiners, Aurelie, you can take this on. Yes, I will. Uh, there's a lot in there indeed. Um, I'll start by saying that, uh, the, as I mean, I've mentioned pre in previous questions that there's a lot of time involved in developing the, the test materials, uh, but also I'd say even more so when the certification system was established. That was a long process over several years um, with lots of consultations with practitioners, language service providers, and also academics. Um, so there was a lot of thinking uh, and uh, considerations um, uh, around designing the, the test formats and uh, key skills and attributes were identified as well as part of this process um, to make sure we are assessing the right skills. Um, mm. One of them is interaction management. And I think that's what the candidate was referring to here in this comment about overlapping talk and that it mm. was there. And this is actually one of the skills the candidates are assessed on. Um, they have to be able to uh, manage the interaction uh, and that can be around turn-taking, overlapping talk, um, any disruptions that can happen. They have to, they are assessed on how they manage the interaction. So um, it's really about the manner uh, of, of this interaction sure. management. That's actually one of the skills that is being tested there, the overlapping right. speech turn-taking. You're right. Exactly. So um, the, the dialogues uh, might challenge the candidates in that sense, uh, and so they have to demonstrate their ability to, to manage the interaction. So uh, I think in, in such a situation, that's probably what we're referring to there. Um, now, I think there was another part... Uh, Around um, marking yeah. of the test. So another problem was that the markers marked the sentence. Markers were marking sentence by sentence like the written language test. Yeah. Can NATI examiners please make sure to have a fair test and marking for us so more people can get NATI qualifications? Mm, right. So uh, I think there's an assumption there. Uh, yeah. So when, when they say fair, maybe they mean easier. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what I can comment on is the rubrics and the way uh, our examiners are trying to mark the test. Um, so um, in terms of the, the assessment, uh, first they are not marking uh, candidates against the script. This is a holistic approach, so they are marking the candidates based on what has been produced by the candidate. So they 
really look at the whole performance. So uh, they wouldn't mark uh, sentence by sentence. Um, and one reason for that is that the delivery of the dialogues is also extremely natural. Our role players are, are not reading a script. They actually uh, uh, use a natural flow as much as possible. They've got a semi-scripted prompts, so it's impossible to mark sentence by sentence. Um, and rather than doing this, they actually have, like, yeah, they look, as I said, at the whole uh, performance and assess each skills that are in the rubrics based on that. So, um, yeah, I hope that's answering the, the question. Uh, yes. I, uh, I, I might just throw in a bit well, more on Michael. that. Yes, thank yeah, you. Sorry, Cody. Um, I would comment that sometimes it could appear that it's being marked sentence by sentence because mm -hmm. the feedback to candidates needs to give some justification of why the band awarded was given uh, and to give feedback, they need to, uh, our examiners need to actually right. pull out a comment, a, a sentence that was said and the errors in it to give an indication of why the overall band was chosen. So although the, um, the feedback to candidates in the result sheet can appear, probably from this uh, candidate's view, that it's marked line by line, that's not necessarily the case, but it's the only way that feedback can be provided uh, in any um, spe specific way, I guess. So when there are errors, uh, you're saying that examples have to be given or justification has to be made to why they got a specific band for that skill and yes. they have to provide some examples for that. And they might have to pull a few errors um, from the entire dialogue. So that's why it may seem like they are um, assessing sentence by sentence, but that's only, it only looks like that because they're actually just showing a few examples. Yes. Yeah. And we appreciate that, that but there's been plenty of discussions within Nati about, you know, is there value in giving less because then that confusion wouldn't happen and we keep coming back to the, we want to give as much feedback as possible because we want people to be able to take that feedback, go away, increase skills and come back and try again. It's um, certainly not in our interests for people not to pass. We, um, Nadi as a certification system wants the right mm -hmm. um, practitioners in the industry. Um, but it's a really fine balance for us because if we do uh, too many examples, then we give away the context of the test material, which may impact future tests uh, if certain parts of dialogues are used again or uh, it gives an unfair advantage because people see how it's been structured or the, the you know, articles that it's been taken from, for example. Uh, and again, the, the problem with too little feedback is people go, well, why did you give me a band two or a band three in that scenario because I thought I went okay. So it, it, I appreciate that. They want that justification, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Yeah, so I appreciate it can be frustrating sometimes where that balance sits. Um, we're trying to give as much information we can without influencing too much either way. Um, look, I, I say to my students, uh, practice, 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 and keep practicing. Yes. It is not an easy <laughs> test. Um, I, I teach at RMIT, so we, we prepare uh, students and candidates for this test. So I do have a little bit of information how the test uh, operates um, and uh, I can definitely say that it's not an easy test but uh, it's also not impossible people do pass it and um, so you know my recommendation is um, keep practicing and uh, I always say you know when you think you've done enough practice practice some more okay 
Thank you very much for that. Um, look, here is another uh, one uh, about um, certification, similar to Somali. So the answer, I guess, um, is hidden in the Somali question. Uh, South Australian recognised practising interpreter in the Kurundi language. As a recognised interpreter for Kurundi, how can I get certification? Yeah, so at the moment we're not offering certification for Kurundi. Um, uh, and I'd comment this is a, yeah, very much like that Somali question for CI level, but in a CPI level for Kurundi, although it's a large language worldwide um, with about 11 million speakers, there's only, according to the last census, only about 3,100 in Australia that speak mm -hmm. it as a primary language at home. And that pool of people to um, grab role players and examiners from is infinitely small. That's a very small number to pull from. So at this stage, particularly for Kurundi, we can only offer recognised mm -hmm. practising because our ability to, to get the right level of examiners and role players to conduct the test appropriately is just not there. It, it certainly doesn't rule it out in future, uh, but at this stage, we just don't see how that would be possible. Yeah, just um, off the top of your head, if you can, I mean, what's the number uh, of a certification test, let's say? I mean, how many thousands of people does Corinda need to hit? How many applications does there need to be made? I mean, what what can they look forward to in the upcoming years? <laughs> um, it's uh, highly variable is probably the answer. So, Because uh, you've, um, you've got Mandarin language, I guess, you know, hundreds of thousands from the pool? 600,000 people. 600,000, um, and we're comparing that to 3,100, you're saying. So yeah. I just want to give that comparison, that's all. I mean, you don't have to answer. Obviously, you know, it has to reach this number of people for us to start preparing for the test. I just want to give some kind of a comparison. Yeah, so I can give you, I mean, the top ones are um, Mandarin 600,000, and we're you know, eagerly awaiting the 2021 census results, which hasn't even happened yet, uh, so we can continue to um, really make sure that what we're offering is appropriate for the language mix in Australia. But Arabic's number two at 330,000, um, Italian's around 270,000, Greek's around 230,000. So when you look at our schedule out until um, the end of 2023, mm. um, which is going to be 53 languages, you're looking at, I think, the smallest five or 6,000, but um, I could be corrected on that. Really, really rough rule of thumb, maybe 10,000, but lots of um, variability in that. So that's not a hard number because literacy rates in the source country, literacy rates of the, um, the cohort that's in Australia, and then that accessibility to the complementary skills from, um, you know, a smaller number of speakers in Australia might be possible because it just so happens three or four of them are working as lecturers in universities mm. at a high level. So you and need, they have, you need the examiners to be at a certain level as well. Then you need role players. Um, so it's not just a matter of having candidates ready. I mean, you might have 20, 30 practitioners ready to apply for the next level up, but you just might not have the level to put the examiner panel together or the role player panel together and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of variables, like you say. Um, I guess, uh, you know, watch this space, uh, keep making your applications um, and hopefully one day, you know, it gets accepted and there's a test. Yeah. 
Um, my question to you is, someone makes an application, there's no test at the moment, do they have to keep applying every year to see what's going on or is there some kind of a EOI and then, you know, a few years later you get back to these people and say, oh, you've applied three years ago, now we have a test, you can apply again. Do, do they? Is there something like this that happens or do you just recommend applying every year? Uh, the actual application, um, we've disabled the ability to apply for any language to stop people getting a false sense of expectation that it would happen. We don't want to mislead anyone. Mm -hmm. So if we're not going to test it in the next three years, we won't accept an application anyway. Uh, for general feedback, though, um, the emailing of info at nadi.com.au is the best way to get um, get support and, and a visibility, I guess, of those languages. Uh, very good. Thank you. All Graduates Conversations Podcast.